Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 330 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is the founder and CEO of AppBind, as well as president of the Cloud Software Association. He has spent his career creating and selling software products to improve how the internet works, and he believes that nothing is more profitable than becoming a piece of the internet. So it's my absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Sunir Shah. Phil, thanks so much for having me on here. Uh, you, you know, so many of my old friends. We were just talking about that. Yes, oh, I'm delighted you could be on on the podcast. Um, so, you know, obviously, that was a very brief introduction. So, maybe you could give us a bit of an understanding of your your background and your career. Yeah, I mean, I have through a series of unfortunate life decisions ended up as a marketer instead of a software developer. So, I'll do my marketing pitch, but I'll tell you more about my myself. But so, so Appine, what we do is we help, you know, if you're an IT consultant or a dev shop, help you uh, set up subscriptions for your clients without burdening them and wasting time waiting for them, setting it up, purchasing their own subscriptions to software or whatever, and without tangling it all up on your own credit card and email. So that you provide a faster, more professional, more controlled experience. And that's been a big problem, actually, for devs and IT and MSPs and system integrators. So, you know, that's what AppBind does. Um, but, you know, I guess that's less interesting because this is really about your career. And so I would say that I've been coding since I was age four. And I always thought growing up that I would be a coder, you know, a developer. And, I, you know, I did embedded systems programming. It worked I, I needled Bjorn Straustrup on the C++ language fact. I worked on the SVG standard. If we're talking about Kent Beck. I needled him when he was writing the extreme programming uh, book. I got really into dev stuff, but now I end up in marketing and sales. Uh, I, I say through a series of unfortunate life decisions, but uh, actually it was because at the end of the dot-com bust, uh, I had to make some decisions about what I want to do in my career. And I realized that coding alone wasn't interesting. It was the helping people part that was interesting. And I ended up in a journey towards the customer. So I think probably a lot of what I'm going to talk about is more the people side of tech. Uh, I mean, I love computer science, but I think, you know, you're talking about the, what's, the, what's the purpose of life? What's the rewarding part? You know, I, for me, not everybody, but for me, it has been like seeing other people's lives improve from my work. And that's how I ended up with my career. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, let's go into the the main um, core of the interview. So can you share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be? I guess I alluded to it. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was a little bit more of a teenager, you can imagine, or a younger man. I was a little bit more uh, debate-oriented. I suppose a lot of people on the internet are. So I mentioned Kent Beck and Bjorn Strassup and Ward Cunningham and Jimmy Wales and, and uh, you know RMS. I've met all these people. But one thing I learned very quickly, because I grew up with the internet, uh, I mean, I'm 42 now, so uh, when I was 14, I made it way on the internet. Let's not explain how I did that. I lived in a nuclear research town, and then, you know, there might be a way I got get onto the internet, you know, if you know what you're doing. Um, but what I learned very quickly is you can reach out to anybody on the internet. That's what really amazed me about the internet. You know, if you look at my, my homepage, my career objective is to make the internet a more glorious place, and that's... Because when I, I I grew up with it, I you know I was lived in a town of four thousand people, but I could talk to literally anyone. I've talked to Jared Lanier, 
I've talked to, you know, anyone, any idea, and they, they would all help you out. They'd all engage with you and help you improve. And for my own kids now, you know, who you know, grew up in this environment, I encourage them, you know, you can do anything you want. I don't care. I mean, we're Canadian. You're basically fine being in Canada, but be world-class, reach out to the world. And so the one top career tip I would say is, uh, you know, there's always someone out there who knows something interesting. Uh, go talk to them. And I'll say the reason I end up in marketing instead of dev, I have this attitude that uh, I was younger too. I told you I was a little bit more uh, combative, I say. Uh, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing and I thought it would be fun to debate. But I, I, came, I, I had this idea though, that everyone, uh, if I think people don't know something and I think I'm smarter than them, uh, it's really that I'm just a stupid person, right? Because I don't actually know anything about them. So I always like, okay, I don't understand what you're doing. I'm going to shut up now and talk, go over there and talk to you and learn to understand you and seek understand, seek understanding and learn and maybe even join your team. This is how I end up in the sales and marketing teams. I just like, let's be in sales. Let's be in marketing. And it was, it was it really opened my horizons to so many different perspectives of how to do your job. And I've learned so many more things that way. So I would say reach out to people. Uh, especially even people you don't understand, you don't under, you know, you don't agree with them or whatever. And just, you know, ask questions, learn, learn to see the way the world through their eyes. Uh, you'll gain something from that no matter what, uh, you can't learn anything if you don't reach out to people and you can't learn anything. If you think you have something to teach, uh, you have to, uh, approach the world as if everyone else has something to teach you. And it's always turned out to be true. Everyone is so amazing. I mean, I can't even tell you. You know, every person I ever meet has something to teach me. And it's it's been such a wonderful, more wonderful way to, I think, for me, go through life. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's a great way of putting it. And um, obviously, there are, there are now so many different ways that you can connect with people and learn. It doesn't necessarily be direct connection either, does it? You can do it indirectly. Um, you can learn by reading or watching videos or whatever it might be, listening to a podcast, for example. So... And then you can potentially reach out to people afterwards as well. So is that what you do? Do you reach out over the internet? Yes. I mean, that's for me, that's how it began. I mean, I was a voracious reader as well. And I watch, you know, YouTube is amazing. I mean, people put their whole lives, everything they know out there. I, and I love Reddit. Uh, it actually, you know, funny, my, my wife jokes. I, I thought I'd be a creative writer when I was younger too. I was another career path. And then I just stopped reading novels. Because if you read Reddit long enough, you know, it's not everything's real on Reddit, but people put their whole lives on Reddit and, you know, in really like detailed ways uh, and, and they really open up and you really get to see how humanity really is. And I think that's even more compelling than some author who's squirreled their way in their basement for two years. I mean, just yes. seeing all the people and the like, things I would never even understand. Like, you know, I don't know what it's like to live. I mean, I'm Canadian. I don't know what it's like to live in Arizona, you know, in poverty and grow up and end up in the tech industry or whatever it is. I don't know any of that stuff. It's just the journeys people have been on. Um, yeah. Yeah. And no, that's great to learn, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um, so Nick, can you share with us your worst career moment and what you learned from that experience? <laughs> I have so many uh, worst career moments. Um, hard to prioritize, how to say which one's the worst. I'll tell you the one that inspired AppLine because I'm self-serving. Uh, but it's actually a good story about what I realized uh, was going on in the world. So, and why I ended up taking this step into starting a company, which is terrifying. Um, 
So I, you know, I was at Olark and actually this is another worst career moment. I had my midlife crisis. I took it out on them. I had my three kids. My, I took my first kid. I was at FreshBooks. I quit because uh, I, I wanted to be at home. I didn't want to be on the road. And then I had another kid while I was at Olark and, and, you know, it, I'm Canadian. They're American. We just have different ideas of, of, you know, Pat leave and whatever. And then, so the third kid was coming and I just like, I couldn't, I didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, I want to do something different. I realized also that I had made some choices in my life uh, for my career about being taking the safe path, which is not always the fun path. Uh, and it wasn't really true to myself. So maybe that's the worst I keep, our, our career moment, just having my midlife crisis. But the, <laughs> I mean, we all go through it. I mean, but yeah. like when I, so I was consulting after that and I didn't really know how to consult. Uh, I hadn't been, it's been a long time. I mean, even though FreshBooks is all, all the customers are consultants, uh, doing it yourself was scary, especially with the, you know, I had the young, young infant at home. And, you know, I had to make all the money because my wife lives on mat leave during that year. But uh, it had changed so much since when I was younger because I used to work in a Microsoft, you know, VAR, like a dev shop. You know, it was like this, like a clients would call us up all the time and we would quote them like a, anyone, like a plumber or a mechanic or, you know, any IT consultant watching your show would understand. You would quote them like the time and materials. So we would buy the computers and networking and Windows licenses and any other dependent software. And then our time to build the system, we'd build out the system, we do the implementation and training, and then we have a three-year maintenance contract. And of course, with the maintenance contract, you keep up with the client, and then you build them the next system, the next system, and you basically have a 10-year client engagement. That's how any industrial contracting has worked. And it's actually been the way since you know the age of the pyramids, honestly, people have been contracting. But it doesn't work that way with subscriptions. And what I learned uh, was I had this client, he was a fashion retailer, he was making clothes, you know, he was making clothes and he was building a bricks and mortar store and he was doing the e-commerce site and I was subcontracted to do the analytics. And, you know, he was a go-getter. He's six weeks to go. He wanted to launch everything. Every week, every week on Monday and during the sync, I said, hey, we need the software, you know, Amplitude, Segment, Branch.io, TalkDesk, whatever. Uh, and he said, sure, no problem. I'll get it for you. But he didn't get it for me because analytics doesn't mean anything to him. You know, he's not a computer scientist. He's a tailor, right? And so he didn't do any of that. Three days before launch, he uh, he said, Sunir, what the hell? Why is there no phone number on the site? And I said, like a you know a great contractor, uh, you didn't sign up for anything and do anything I asked you to. And he's like, okay, fine. Being a go getter, he's like, just get on a video call, show me what to do. So you know, if you ever try to get a client over a video call to do anything, you know, click here, put your email in here, put your password, <laughs> click here to invite me. Like, it just did not go well. And he was stressed out. It's 72 hours to go. I used one of his remaining 72 hours to sign up for two subscriptions. What stupid administrative work. And he was fed up. He said, Sunir, and this is a great line. And I remember, I say it all the time now. You know, my plumber does not did not make me go buy my own pipes. And I was like, right. Because uh, that, that, that's not how contractors work. You know, and I was like, Sunir, working with you is 10 times harder than not working with you. I was like, oh, crap. You know, I don't understand anything you're doing. I don't know what any of this stuff is. It's confusing. You're wasting my time. Take care of it. I say, right. Yep. Get off the call. I'll take care of it. And and so I bought two of the remaining subscriptions of my card and then immediately canceled my card because I didn't want the renewals. I had to do an overnighter, all nighter to finish the project in time, delivered it so I get paid. And then he fired me, of course. And so yeah. you know, I was like, you know, any consultant has that feeling, you know, I'm getting fired. Sorry, you, I, feel, I feel like I got a reaction from you too. You've been <laughs> So I got fired. It was it was just like I knew I was going to get fired. I, it was just like you know it was a death march, and then I but I caught up with him a month later. We had a pretty good rapport, 
because uh, I was an adult on the project theoretically. And, but he was so disappointed because it was so unprofessional and clutch, right? Uh, but he knew I had this idea for AppBind and, I, and he was willing to help me out, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, entrepreneur. So I asked him, what was your experience? Yeah, he said, Sneer, yeah, not only did you waste my time and slow down the project and confuse me and do that for everyone else working on the project, but you couldn't even control your own time. I was like, what do you mean? Well, you did an all-nighter, didn't you? Like, no one could run a business if you can't even manage your own time, right? Like, yep. And, it's, you know, and for me, you know, I asked him, what, what was the point you decided to fire me? Because the plan was I would do the analytics and then I'd do the conversion rate optimization and then the ads. And, you know, he said, yeah, you're my guy. You're going to be the guy who did all this stuff. You seem to know all the answers. Right. But when did you decide to fire me? I said, honestly, Sneer, the first meeting. I was like, what? Like, the first meeting you decided to fire me? Like, that was shocking. You know, that was like, you know, 12 weeks ago, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, I, I knew the moment you asked, started asking me to do stuff I didn't understand that I needed to hire someone internally to take to do this. I just didn't have time at the moment to hire anyone. So I just let you go. But I knew I was going to have to hire someone then. And, you know, you're not, not going to have two people. So whoever I was going to hire to manage this stuff was going to be the person. And you're not. It's too bad. You probably know more than whomever I'm going to hire. But, you know, you're, you're, you're just I just can't rely on you. And I was like. And that and that that experience of getting fired, I mean, it was it still rattles me, even though I tell the story, because it's so painful, it's so real. It's what led to AppBind. So we, this is why we had to solve this problem. Everyone has this problem. It's like killing everybody. It, yes. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go to maybe a, a more positive yeah. um, point. Um, so, so Nick, can you tell us about your career highlights so far? One of the highlights that I have that I, I rarely talk about anymore is the t- day I deleted 200,000 lines of code. It's one of my favorite interview questions. How many lines of code have you deleted in one day? Which always stuns people. <laughs> yep. And, and this is a highlight. Yeah, because it, we, we had done a death march to deliver the system. This was a company called Soft TV. They built, like, if you know Headline News or Bloomberg or whatever, that those TV shows. TV channels. Yeah. We built the software to run one of those channels, and we actually had, we actually delivered a whole TV channel in Canada called uh, CP24 in 99 days. It was quite a thing that we had done. So I mean, 99 days to like build all the software on a TV channel from scratch. You know, obviously the code was like a mess. Uh, but then we thought we we're going to productize it, and then the lead consultant who was just there as a stringer, right? He was just there temporarily. You know. He left, and I was left inheriting the code base. And I was pretty young. I was like 19 or 20. And they said, Sneer, figure it out. And uh, I was like, okay, how do I do this? Uh, but I think it was hanging out with Kent Beck. We're talking about Kent Beck, the extreme programming guy. So I just took some of those yep. ideas. Unit testing, and like, what do we? if you don't need it, get rid of it. Like Yagni, you ain't going to need it. I was like, let's just do all this stuff. And so I, I, do, I took all the code that I thought, this is useless. I just deleted it. And people say, you can't delete it. It's like, we have source control. It's fine. Uh, and I, I just like cut that thing down by, by honestly, two thirds or more. And, uh, people were like, par- like paranoid because no one does, did that, but I took the extreme approach and honestly, the code ended up being so much cleaner and easier to organize that we we're able to build the product and then start selling it. You know, like it was it like made the company, you know, out of this consulting project, it's just to, to be courageous enough, uh, to do something like that. And the courage wasn't against the code I and mean, it was with the people like they, they had never seen anyone do anything like that before obviously the source control was like what was the worst that was going to happen we would we would we would revert i'd lose a day right nothing would happen that's why i did it I, there was no real fear 
but people were like, what are you doing? And I decided yes. to do it. And, and, and that really proved to me that you can do anything if you, you know, if you have confidence, you know, if you know, there's no risk, then what, what's stopping you? Just go ahead yeah, and do it. Absolutely. I think the, the, the point of it is risk, isn't it though? Yeah. I mean, that's it. And risk is really felt, uh, as a, as meat people, we're animals, right? And it's not necessarily logically true. And honestly, we were just talking before in the pre-interview, like I've had two bad days. Like it's been like, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I'm, I'm feeling it's becoming a tradition with the <laughs> pandemic now that we're all like going crazy at Christmas time. Uh, and I'm feeling all gummed up myself. Um, but what are you supposed to do with that fear? I mean, I, I, it's not doing anything. So like you just have to have confidence that, you know, we'll be fine and whatever I'm working on is valuable and I just got to keep working on it. But it's hard to focus on that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, Sunia, what excites you about the future of the IT industry? It's a very interesting question because the IT industry is now so ginormous that there are multiple futures available that I can't even understand them all. Like, I don't understand them all. I just interviewed uh, someone. Uh, she was from Nigeria. She ran, uh, um, what was it called? Uh, Girls Code Africa or something like that. She Codes Africa, the community, 7,000 people. And and uh, to me, this doesn't make, this is perfectly logical. My parents are from Kenya. I know exactly how, how developed the IT industry is in Africa. But when I was, you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't even think about interviewing someone for Africa because you wouldn't even know how to do it, right? You know? So now I can talk to like any like anyone on the planet and they're all very capable people. I find that quite interesting. And it's kind of like everyone can build their own British empire. You know, the sun may never set on, you know, your company if people are working in, in, anywhere around the world. It's kind of wild. I find that kind of interesting on a human level because like I said, reaching out to people, and learning from them, you just, you'll find that's the most that's the most important thing about your career is your own growth. But on a more capital basis, like talking about just the robotic part of our jobs, the most interesting thing about IT, honestly, is I, I believe that uh, this idea of the service channel, um, like Microsoft, has come onto the scene in a big way. They are one point three percent of the world's economy. Microsoft and their aftermarket. They have $1.3 trillion in IT consulting around Microsoft, but it doesn't really work in the cloud, so to speak. It's not really there, but it's coming. And then Microsoft is going to make it happen. And for so many, it's not the cloudiness of it. Like it's not that it's subscription-based or on the internet. I mean, there's a lot of functional power, but to me, that means now finally like tens or hundreds of millions of businesses that are, didn't really have the same level of access to this high-powered technology, which can only be on the network. Uh, that you can get in Mountain View is going to be unlocked everywhere. And I don't just mean like large companies in like, Indonesia. I also mean small businesses in Indonesia. You know, they'll be able to get ev everything. And that is going to be really the thing that we were all dreaming about 20 years ago with, with the internet. It's like, it'll finally unlock the power to bring like this incredible technology that's mostly in the United States and somewhat in Europe, you know, out to the wider world. And I think that like, who knows what will happen? Good and bad. It'll be you know, obviously a mix, but it'll be different for sure. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. So, so you you do feel that um, you talk about globalization, I suppose, from an IT perspective. Is is that how you see things progressing? Yeah, I mean, I mean, globalization is is 
complicated topic for sure. But like I mean, everywhere in the world, all the global capital cities, like every part of the world has a what's known as a global capital city. They all look the same. They all have the same McDonald's and Starbucks and whatever, right? And you basically, if you're a professional, you can drop yourself in the middle of Kuala Lumpur or, you know, Rio or New York City or London or Paris and feel this exact same thing, right? It doesn't, you can have the exact same experience. You can be in a Hilton and have live a little bubble. Um, but that that is not... In, that's not really how software has been deployed. It's not even like if you can't, you can't really use active campaign if you're in India, for instance, like you can't buy it. And so then like, so all those countries who have all the potential are limited because well, it's just computer science, but you can't get any of this stuff, you know? Uh, and, and sometimes you duplicate it in the local, you know, but you're really going to get the best stuff, you know, duplicate in every country. It's always some copy, uh, you know, have be able to break down those barriers from an IT point of view is pretty exciting. I mean, I, I, and even if you're not on the part of the world that is not like, if you're in like, you know, the, the, the Western global regime, you know, US, Europe, Japan, whatever, actually Japan is actually different. But if you're like, you know, you may think, well, I don't have this problem of getting software, but you can make the software and then sell it to everybody, right? And your market was going to be a trillion dollars, not a hundred billion dollars. It's, it's going to be more interesting. So I think that's, I think that's actually kind of interesting. I mean, because frankly, you know, I like the computer science part of it. I like the money part of it. But as you can tell, I also like meeting interesting people through the work. And to me, like, you know, I've half my life left to live. I want to meet more people. You know, if I'm locked in my basement for another two years, <laughs> as we all seem to be, this is the only way I can do it. So if I can't travel, at least email me, you know, that's the way it goes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Yes. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? Well, my sister, uh, she asked for a VIC-20. My dad picked up a VIC-20 at some garage sale. Yeah. I was four at the time. And my sister was eight. And she wrote on a VIC-20. You know, it's a basic. It's a Commodore. It's basically yeah. a Commodore 64. Uh, she wrote, 10, print Nina is cool. 20, go to 10. And that enraged me. And that was basically what got me into IT, is my sister uh, said she was cooler <laughs> than me. Straight right. Forward. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? Well, it's the, it's the, everything about people are not the same as you. Like everyone's rational in their own mind. Uh, when you're managing people, you remember if you're, when the first law of management is that your staff are not you. It's everything that get out of your own mind, you know, and listen, like listen to what other people are saying and try to see the world from their point of view. I mean, that, I think there's nothing. And what else, what's the point of it all, right? That's what I think it is. So. And what is the worst career advice you've ever received? Be strong. What does that even mean? It means you're weak. If you have to be, if you have to, if you're being, if you're fighting with your own emotions and you have to show the world that you're, you're strong and like you're basically projecting negativity, everyone, like there's a, one of the things you learn when you listen to other people is the inside out principle, uh, where if someone, you meet someone and they're casually negative towards you, even though you didn't do anything to deserve it. It's not, you did it. It's like, that's what's going on in their mind. That's the loop, the play track in their own mind. It's how they judge themselves or having a bad day. They're taking it out on you. So if you're projecting this kind of false strength out to the world, because you have to, that's what good managers are. That's because you feel terribly insecure, right? But if you, I learned, if you tell your staff, 
I'm freaking out right now, you know, but I'll, you know, they'll take care of you. I mean, especially if you take care of them because we're just adults. Like I have, I have a role and you have a role. Maybe my role is elevated in yours in this situation. And then we leave work and then we're just neighbors. I mean, we're just adults working together on this project. Amazing things happen, you know? Yes. That's very well put. Yep. Um, and if you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? Well, that's a good question. I have little kids. I'm trying to get them set up. Scratch. I get the kids set up on Scratch. It's amazing. Yeah. So amazing. I can't even begin to explain it. It is. So good. <laughs> and what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Well, I started this company, AppLine. It's been a journey. And so I am like, I'm really committed to this idea of solving how do we turn subscriptions into something from the software company's point of view, how partners can sell the act, sell subscriptions, but from the solution provider's point of view, the IT consultants, how do you uh, become someone who manages all this subscription stuff and build a system that is yours in a way that you can get into these long-term relationships with the client and say, yes, I'll take care of it for you and then for the end customers they can get taken care of which is the only thing that's missing and so for me that is a big project um and so it's actually three different projects which is probably why i had lack lack focus <laughs> three different people involved <laughs> partner sales. yeah and what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far so when i learned about networking and this is going to sound ridiculous, but I always equate, I'm a partnership person. I, I run the trade association about partnerships. I talk about partnerships all the time. To me, that part of your brain that manages like networking and partnerships is the same one that you use for dating. And we all kind of learned how to network in high school, uh, whether you're good at dating or meeting people at the dance or not in high school kind of determines your behavior. And we've all been to conferences, if you remember what those are like, uh, where we go to the party and people kind of circle up in their little cliques. And sometimes it really is men versus women because people just have habits, right, from before. But honestly, I'm not, I mean, I'm not there to do anything but make money. I'm a, you know, I'm a robot and I'm a capitalist. That's basically in some way. I mean, I'm just, we're there to meet on a business level. So what I learned is that if you approach people in a, in a non-threatening, not, I'm not, I don't approach things, I'm strong. I never do that. Uh, I just pr- approach people and, uh, and you know, I'm there for business, there for business too. If you get past, if you, you practice is icebreakers, but you get past that, you know, meet more people. you have no fear. I mean, they're there to meet you. They will talk to you. Some people won't, but more people than not will. And then you just, like I said, the whole point for me is to meet as many interesting people as possible. So when I go to a, com- when I go to a conference or any networking room, I, I don't shy away. I'll just go up to you. It's like, I say, hello, I'm Sunir from AppLined. Nice to meet you. What brings you here? That's the icebreaker. Very simple. Yep. Yep. It is. Exactly. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? <laughs> I'm going to cry. Oh, my God. I was just saying to my wife, I'm, I'm retired this morning. I just couldn't. I just stood there and said, what are you going to do? I was going to stand here in the kitchen. He's like, you need a hobby. No, I'm good. I'm just going to stand here for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> and last, this, this is definitely a stressful time uh, in the world. Um, that's a really good question right now. Cause I think everyone is like going crazy a little bit. So I am not a normal person. Obviously I love networking. Um, so I built a trade association of all my best friends. So the cloud software association, there's 4,000 of us yep. in that. So I built my little tribe as you know, Seth Godin would say. Um, 
is that Seth Godin? Is that Malcolm Gladwell? I don't know, whatever. I built my tribe. And uh, I, I, it's important for me to have a community of people who are going through the same journey as me. And I have more than one of those constituencies. I, I need other people, um, not because I need them to validate me. Uh, I just like helping people and that help energizes me. I, I need, if I feel I'm all alone, I'm alone with myself and I, I'm crazy. So that would not work out well. I just... <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, to me, it sounds like you you live off the energy of other people I do. to a certain extent. It generates your own energy, yeah. by talking to other people. I, so, yeah, I yeah. I'm an ambivert. I like I love also coding, so I go. I just flip back and forth if as much as I can during the week with people yep. with computers. Anything between the computer and the people, like the Java stack, I'm not interested. This is why I left IT, uh, computer science. I couldn't handle the application stack. Don't talk to me about Swing. I'm not interested. <laughs> give me give me a processor, <laughs> an embedded C plus plus compiler, or a networking event. Those are the only things I care about. That's that's me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and what do you do in your spare time away from technology? Well, I love this. Like, what is your hobby? Uh, question kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, honestly, I'm a dad, so I do everything. Like, like I'm in Canada, so. Like all the things I'm for me, it's so exciting to just do all the things. I mean, my parents are immigrants from Kenya, right? So they didn't know any of this stuff. I told my wife when I married her, one of the conditions of our marriage in our contract was that she takes me camping every year because it's something we never did. Uh, yep. So I just love all that stuff. So camping, we're going down skiing theoretically next week, assuming it snows and everything's open. Uh, my kid, my, my son just started hockey, which is amazing. I never, I never got to that point. Um, my, my, I, I was in a curling team, which is, you know, which is amazing because I'm I'm not 1,000 years old, um, and I was so. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, you know, it's just like all that stuff, and then, you know, I have my own interests. You know, like right now I'm reading Dune and all those things, but, um, I live in Toronto. I love do all the Toronto things. What else? What, what else can I say? Good. Okay. Right. Um, so, Nick, can you share with us a parting piece of career advice? Well, something different. Um, I have the imposter's prayer. I love that. So a lot of people actually, like most people have imposter syndrome where they, like everyone's anxious. I'm going to tell you that right now. Like everybody is, if you're not anxious, you, you're not pushing yourself to take on the challenge that you could give the world. I mean, maybe you don't want to, but what a shame. I mean, you only live 100 years of this, you know, trillion year universe. Uh, you might as well do something and enjoy it. But, you know, it's it's terrifying. So I have this imposter's prayer. Is uh, It starts with this. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not stupid. I will figure it out. Simple. Uh, and like this is the same thing when I deleted all that code. I had no idea if it would work out or not, but it'll be it was fine. And it wasn't, who cares? <laughs> We'd have undone it, right? So, I mean, I'm doing this startup. Yes. It's terrifying, but... I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll figure it out. It'll be fine. Yep. Sunir, how do we find out more about you and connect with you? Well, everyone should buy 10 AppBinds. No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, I'm not kidding, but it's appbind.com. So, you know, A-P-P-B is in banana, I-N-D.com. So that's if you have a problem managing subscriptions for your clients uh, or selling through the IT channel. I have the converse problem as a software developer. If you're a partnership person, uh, cloudsoftwareassociation.com, we're drinking club for partnership people. And I'm on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn slash IN slash Sunir Shah, S-U-N-I-R-S-H-A-H. 
And my email address is sunir, S-U-N-I-R, at appline.com. Sunir, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, thank you so much. This is fun. Hi, Phil here again. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with today's guest. You can find full show notes on the website at itcareerenergizer.com slash e and the number of the episode you've been listening to. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, please make sure that you do so that you get episodes automatically downloaded to your device every Monday. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.